Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for y'all that are, there's BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. With a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BELIEVE50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. Got another fun episode in store. Got a media member that covers UK. You've heard him on the Leach Report. You've heard him on uh, Big Blue Insider with Dick Gabriel. You read him on the Cat's Paws. You can hear him on Kentucky Daily with Sean Smith. I'm about out of breath from the intro. We're going to be out of time. we talking about Derek Terry, man. Derek, how you doing? Doing well, Vinny. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the things you do covering the cats and bringing everything to us. Y'all be sure to check this episode out. As soon as it drops, go to Believe.com, Spotify, Stitch, wherever you get your podcast. It'll be there. And uh, we have another fun episode for the archives. It's the bye week, Derek. We we hit the bye week six and one. Cats just come off the loss to Georgia. First of all, yourself. You have the bye week. Stuff is starting to overlap with football and basketball. Are you going to get a chance to catch your breath this weekend since there's not a football game? I sure hope so. I got a, I got a buddy from back home coming up this weekend, and a big group of us are going to go over to Keeneland on Saturday and hang out there. And uh, during the bye week, uh, I always try to do the fall things with my wife. Uh, Weather doesn't look great on Sunday. We plan to go to the pumpkin patch, you know, go haunted housing, uh, do all those fun things. Um, since I'm typically tied up most Saturdays, but luckily this year, the bye week fell uh, pretty close to Halloween. So that'll be uh, my little break this there, week. There you go. And you mentioned that you're from Corbin, Laurel County area, right? Now, I grew up in Harlan County, just on down the road in the mountains from Eastern Kentucky. I gotta ask you. I could have tweeted you this or something, but there's some Terry's I grew up with. Jeremy Terry played point guard for Cumberland. Were you guys related? He was a hooper for Cumberland. I don't know if you guys related. I just wanted had to ask you since you're on here. Yeah, I don't believe so. If we are, I I didn't know about it. Um, I don't think I have any family in up there in those parts. Uh, a lot of my dad's family 
moved to Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. whenever uh, back in the day. So uh, the ones that were left mostly all lived uh, down in Corbin. The ones that I knew anyway, for the most part. So, gotcha. I always, you know, every time I hear you on the radio or see a tweet, it makes me think of you know Jeremy. There's not a lot of Terry's where I was from anyway, so it, it was kind of a unique last name. So, so what, uh, which of those like eight high schools that they had down there did you go to? I know before they consolidated, there were a bunch. Yeah, I went to uh, to Cumberland, same high school oh, as Freddie okay. Maggard. I was a I was a little kid and running around in bleachers when he was leading Cumberland to the state title game and stuff like that. But you had Freddie, George Massey, Charles Tinsley, all those guys came out of Cumberland, and so I was a Redskin, couldn't stand the story, yeah. and all that stuff. Tell everybody the story. If I'm talking about Harlan, uh, before a baseball game, my sophomore year at Kwood out there before, uh, I guess it was maybe the last year actually before Harlan County, uh, all those schools consolidated into one. We uh, used to, in baseball. We used to have you know you would stretch, do all your warm ups, throw or whatever. My brother was a senior when I was a sophomore. And, you know, you would just like when we would finish wrapping up our stretch and we would like get in a circle and like everyone would like shoulder bump. You'd have a partner. <laughs> and I jumped up with my brother, bumped his shoulder, came down and my cleat got stuck in his foot. And I actually broke my ankle uh, before a game at Kwood. So that's like a, it was a I think there had been a tornado that had gone through there at some point. I like, knocked down the dugouts and that uh, I don't know if it was a basketball gym or what it was, a big like dome looking thing that they had <laughs> out there. So that's what I remember about Kwood. Not not fond of memories uh, making the trip up there to Harlan. That's yeah. That that would be the Trojan Dome, but you yeah. you cleated your brother, but your ankle got broken. So that's just messed up, man. That's... <laughs> so it got stuck in his like cleat for a second, twisted. And it, uh, it was it wasn't a bad fracture. I mean, it, it held up fine, but it, it was pretty late in the year, and uh, it cost me the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's that is what I remember. One of the, one of the more memorable stories from high school baseball in terms of games I didn't play in. I mean, that was uh, <laughs> that was that was that was one. And like you said, as on a positive note, as fractures go, it wasn't a bad one. But it's. <laughs> Bad enough to swell up and uh, hurt for a while. I still feel it sometimes. I swear, when I play basketball or something, it still it still hurts sometimes. Yeah. Are you are you like the old timers? Can you tell when it's gonna rain? Are you getting to that point? <laughs> I'm not bad enough with that. It's uh, you know, my wife has a torn ACL and she can you know she had it surgically repaired. Fortunately, I've never had to have surgery on anything, so any injuries I had were never bad enough to got like a little boxer's fracture playing football as a kid. Uh, I got bad luck with getting stuck into things. My pinky got stuck in the kids. You know, you know those mesh jerseys were like practice jerseys. Yeah. Got caught in his uh, shoulder pad in his mesh jersey and bent back a little bit. Because uh, they call it a boxer's fracture is what the doctors called it. Fifth mm-hmm. metacarpal bone in my hand. But those are really the only injuries I had playing uh, playing sports growing up. You came, came out of it pretty well, I guess. You know, almost unscathed. So. <laughs> Well, we flip into the football, like we said, six and one going into the bye week. What would you say has surprised you the most about the cast this season? And what would you say that I nailed this? I talked about this all summer. I wrote about it and it's playing out just like I said it would. Oh, good question. Um, I, I did not have them at six and one at this point. I would have thought, uh 
five and two probably. I didn't have them beating both Florida and LSU in the preseason. I thought they had a great chance to uh, to win the first four. I mean, you felt like if they could just get through Missouri with a win, then they could get to, get to at least four and zero oh and have that matchup against Florida be a really big one. Um, I picked that to be a loss the week of, and then obviously they went out and won, and then played great against LSU. And really, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to beat Georgia. So um, six and one definitely kind of exceeded my expectations. Um, I'm trying to think, if there's anything else that really has caught me by surprise. Um, individually, I know he didn't have a great game against Georgia, uh, but Jacquez Jones, those first six games, I mean, he was as important as, as maybe anybody on that defense. I mean, he'll, he'll live in UK history forever with uh, breaking up the pass at the goal line against Florida. You know, he wanted to come to UK and show that he could be a three down linebacker. And I think he's done that, but you also think back, he was hurt most of the fall camp. I mean, uh, trying to think off the top of my head, but I think Trevin Wallace might've even started against Louisiana Monroe. I might be wrong on that. Uh, Jacquez might've been back in time, but I know there's at least some thought that, uh, Jacquez admits so much time and that Trevin would be ready um, to start the season. But of course, once Jacquez got in there, he's played great. Um, the things that I would say I was right on. Um, that's a good question. What are some of the things I was right on? Maybe not so much big picture with the season. And this is obviously not a rocket science, but really the, the, Georgia game in general in the sense that as as improved as maybe the offense has been. And, you know, the, the weird thing about the offense this year, especially the passing game, and it must be because of, of Wandell is the only thing I can think of. The passing numbers on a national scale still are not very good. Uh, matter of fact, last time I checked after the game, um, this Georgia game, I think they're only 100th nationally in passing yards per game. So they're still throwing for less than 200 – yards per game but it feels for whatever reason it feels maybe a little bit more accomplished uh, maybe because early in the season they had that downfield threat with Wandell and you saw Josh Ali early in the year make some deep catches that's not really been the case here lately they've had a little bit harder time connected on the deep pass um, but with Georgia and they're doing everything they can to correct it in recruiting but the wide receiver play uh, that's the one area that I think Wandell has really highlighted how big of a gap there was. I mean, Wandell is probably, you know, he, he could play for anybody in the SEC, but he might be the only guy on the in that wide receiver room that you would look at and and could place down at a at another school and they would fit in. So it'll still take some time. The transfer portal should help that. Some of these high school recruits are going after. It sounds like they're surging for Barry and Brown, who uh, will help immediately. I would think. Danky announcing here a week from today as we record this. So those guys will help, but I still think there may be two or three years from, from getting that room to really where they want it. But that could be an area, though, that the transfer portal, depending on who they get, maybe it becomes a strength even next season. Uh, a little hard to project that at this point. Because you can argue, you know, Stoops' effectiveness in the transfer portal. You know, we, we saw what Cal did with, with Severe and, and CJ Frick and all those guys, but Wandale, Dare Rosenthal, Jaquez, and Will Levis. I mean, that's you can't do much better than that in the portal. No, you get your starting quarterback, starting left tackle, starting middle linebacker, and best wide receiver all from the portal. And uh, it was unique in a way that I think all those kids, I mean, obviously, we know the story with Wandale being from Frankfurt and being committed to UK and deciding to come home. 
uh, you know, really Levis was maybe the only guy that didn't have some kind of connection. Uh, you know, Dare at least had Kelvin Joseph he could go to, um, who, who had a good experience here last year. And he also trained with Chris Vaughn at Aspirations Gym over in Louisville. So, I mean, there were some ties there already. And then, of course, Chuck Wes, uh, Coach John Summerall, was his inside linebackers coach at Ole Miss his freshman season. So, you know, Cohen had some kind of connection to uh, – Levis in the sense that he, you know, he had briefly recruited him while at Maine, but obviously Levis uh, pretty, pretty quickly was a power five prospect. And the idea that he would go to Maine probably went away rather quickly, but there was at least some kind of relationship. So that's why I'll be curious because you know, they're going to go to the portal. Every team is going to use that to their advantage, but I don't, it's, I mean, you could probably make an argument, you know, I've not looked at every single team's transfer hall, but in terms of having four very important positions be filled by transfers who have played so well. I mean, it's hard uh, It's hard to imagine that next year's all could be any better, right, with, with how good this one's been. Exactly. Now, the same question is about Kentucky. Just stretch it out to that conference if you want to. What's, what surprised you most about the SEC? What was something that you nailed as far as conference you know, football-wise? I've not nailed it yet. I picked Georgia to win the national title in the preseason. I felt like this, you know, they had a good chance. And the way it's shaping up, I mean, they still have to beat Alabama. I assume that's who they're going to play in the – well, I mean, I think I think if Georgia goes 12-0 and regardless and, and makes SEC championship, which they would at 12-0, and uh, I think they're probably a lock for the playoff regardless. So, But even with how many injuries they've had, they are still just rolling. Um, so I feel – Hopefully, uh, assuming they'll go win it, then I'll, I'll have that one right. Um, I would say the big surprises in the East. I mean, Florida. I mean, uh, you know, they. I think everyone expected them to lose to Alabama at home early in the year, but they they played pretty well against Alabama in the second half. Came back, only lost by two points. I think there were a lot of people really optimistic about what Florida could be in year four under Dan Mullen. They came back the next week. Uh, or maybe two weeks later, one or two weeks later, beat Tennessee by, I think, 24 points at home. And, I mean, Tennessee has probably um, probably exceeded what a lot of people thought they'd be in the preseason. So, I mean, they were they were rolling, and then they came to Lexington and kind of imploded a little bit, had 15 penalties, took a loss to U.K. for the first time you know, on the road since 1986, and then they get beat by LSU, and they've not even played Georgia yet. So, I mean, they're – yeah. Not even probably going to finish with the winning record in the league. Best case, they're probably going to be is four and four. So places like Georgia or Florida, I mean, you know, they don't – they'll get impatient <laughs> with Dan Mullen. I mean, I think Dan Mullen's a pretty good coach. He did a great job at Mississippi State. You know, I don't know that he's recruiting at the level that some Florida fans think that he could. Um, you know, more in general in the SEC, I mean, the West is brutal. I don't, I don't even know what to think about some of those teams. You got Texas A&M beating Alabama, uh, but lost at home to Mississippi State. Um, Auburn, I would say, has played better for sure. than I, I think I had them like sixth in the preseason. But um, with the way that Florida has kind of had its season go, I mean, Kentucky's really, as long as they just win one of these next two, um, well, no, they're probably already to the point where they're going to finish second in the East, which is great for UK. But um, the league as a whole, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed watching the games that I've gotten to. Arkansas and Ole Miss, I think, was one of the best games I've seen so far this year, 52 to 51. If you like offense anyway, if you're a defensive person, then uh, that wasn't your game. But uh, 
they've had some tough losses, and it just goes to show you. I mean, they they beat Texas, they beat Texas A and M, and then it's just such a tough conference. I mean, you follow that up with losses to Auburn, Ole Miss, and Georgia, and you're all of a sudden like last in the league. I mean, it's just because I think they're a pretty good team, but it's a hard road to to climb for sure on that side of the division. The thing that I, I guess I kind of harped on it was that Missouri, I was like, they're just not as far along as everybody says. Beating LSU with the defending champs, I mean, that that put them on the map, but we didn't didn't know LSU was going to go five and five. And that kind of just launched Drinkwitz and, and, and Basilac. And true, they beat Kentucky last year. We, we know the circumstances, but, you know, tip your cap, they won. But I just couldn't see them being that far along. And now, I mean, they're, you know, they've regressed even more so than I thought. You know, the defense is atrocious and Basilac's not even really that great. And, and it's, you know, it's, it was, this was year two. It's just, it, it, you can't just skip steps like that and then kind of reality is kind of hitting them now that's a good point i mean i was i was one of these people in the preseason i, I just thought tennessee's one lack of depth i mean they lost so many players of the portal they were just kind of i mean for most of my lifetime they've been a very dysfunctional program um you know they're they're the team that's probably going to finish i mean with as many games as florida's lost i mean tennessee you know, Tennessee, however how they finish is probably going to come down to that U.K. game because they still have to play uh, Georgia and Alabama. They're not going to beat either of those teams. And I think that would put them at, what, four conference losses? Yeah, because they've already lost to Florida and Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So uh, they'll probably be battling that with Florida potentially, depending on how many games Florida loses for third. I mean, U.K. should finish second. So you're right about Missouri. I mean, uh, I watched that game against Tennessee because it was a noon game. I want to say Kentucky played Florida that night. So I was home for most of the early slate of those games. And, I mean, just looked absolutely helpless on defense. I know they fired their uh, defensive line coach after the game. The good news for Drinkwitz, um, you know, Missouri's, I think, going to be relatively patient. I mean, they did fire Barry Odom, who was an alum of the school, uh, after a few years. And he was never really terrible. Those first couple of years after Pinkle retired were a little tough on him. But he was at least making bowl games for the most part. Uh, before they let him go but they, they've got a very good recruiting class coming in next year at Missouri and then with the transfer portal you know I would still say the projections look fairly good and I think that's going to be a team um, you know the only teams I would say I'm very pessimistic about in the east obviously Vanderbilt because it's like they don't even care um, I know they got a new coaching staff but they're so far behind it'll be I mean multiple years before I think they're even sniffing a bowl game if that and then South Carolina, I didn't really love that Shane Beamer hire. And, uh, you know, they played UK tight, but I think a lot of that had to do with UK just not playing that well, turning it over, uh, yeah. things like that. So I don't think their outlook is great, really, under Beamer. So to me, outside of – I mean, Georgia's got such a dominant stranglehold, I think, on this division for a long time. So at this point, I think you feel pretty good that Kentucky can be that second team for a little while. Missouri or uh, Florida is always going to be in the mix because they're going to be so talented yeah. year in and year out. Um, but I think that that view that maybe UK had of Florida for so long, I mean, they had the very long losing streak against those guys, but they played them so tight for the last, I mean, really ever since Stoops has been here, there's, there's been very few blowouts in that series. So I think that Kentucky's always felt like they could hang with Florida since he's been here. And with that, 
door kind of knocked down here, both in Gainesville and in Lexington. I don't see any reason why that series can't be far more competitive, you know, for the forever, however long Stoops is going to be here. And the same deal with Tennessee. I mean, those years of losing to the same team 25, 30 years in a row, I mean, those days are those days are gone, thankfully. Yeah, he's you know, he talks about kicking in those doors and he's checked off a ton of boxes. And the one that's kind of crazy now is is not winning in Starkville in forever. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a chance to do that, but how how weird is it that that they haven't won in what two thousand eight? The last win out there. Yeah, I want to say that game was like on CSS or something. You remember that the old uh, <laughs> it was on cable. It was out of Atlanta that uh, CSS? I think that's what that game might have been on. Uh, if it was, yeah, I might be wrong, I just remember that channel from my childhood. But uh, yeah, back in the Randall Cobb days, fourteen to thirteen back in 08. I think Sylvester Croom was still the head coach down there at uh. Mississippi State that year. So, you know, that series has really turned into whoever the home team is is going to win. I think the home team's won every single game since 2015. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. When you when you look at how they could finish, and I, I know a lot of fans, and, and rightfully so probably, have their eyes set on 11-1. and one. But in order to do that, they're going to have to, like you said, beat, tennis, or beat Mississippi State on the road for the first time since 08. To take it a step further, since 2003, it's going back further than 2013, but you start when Mark Stoops got here. They've never won an SEC West game on the road under under Stoops. So, I mean, that's a crazy stat I guess you could have, and this year feels like the best chance to do that. Um, but then you look at Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think it's been since 1976-77 since they beat those guys back-to-back seasons. Yeah. So, obviously, they, they played great down there last year, beat Tennessee 34-7 in Neyland Stadium to uh, snap a streak there. They hadn't won since 1984. So it's, it's definitely possible. I think Kentucky is certainly as good, if not better, than both those teams, probably better. Um, but it will still take some things going right historically. And uh, that's why even in the big picture, I mean, if they go 11-1, and one, they're going to play in a great bowl game, and that's what the season's going to be remembered for. But I do think nationally, with the way Florida's kind of falling apart, LSU – it's probably probably a bowl team, but not much more than that. Mm-hmm. They're going to look back a lot of people and say, "Well, you know, UK didn't really beat anybody to get to that eleven and one." And I don't think that's totally fair, but I do think that's what the narrative is going to be. But you look at all those little things that could be adding up: beating Tennessee back to back years, beating Florida twice in four seasons, winning your first game on the road at Mississippi State since '08. If they beat Louisville at the end of the year, that's what. Uh, three in a row against those guys. Um, they would be doing a lot of things that, you know, kind of in the micro level of the program would all add up to just phenomenal years, uh, even if maybe the national media won't recognize it as as more than, you know, saying that they beat teams that were that were down. That's, that's going to be my guess as to what the outside perception is of UK. And But that's still something that was never done, <laughs> beating teams when they were down. Oh. I think if you're a UK fan, you shouldn't care at all what the you know outside narrative will be if they get to eleven and one. I don't think people should be able to you know don't listen to anything outside of uh, of you know. I mean, eleven and one. They've not won that many games since 1950, right? So I mean, it doesn't matter who you beat to get there. You should celebrate the hell out of it. That's right, and because all the years, because I'm a little bit older than you, the, the Tennessee streak in '84 it started. I was seven. So I went from age seven to age 34 without seeing a win over Tennessee. So it was kind of fitting that they went in Knoxville 34 to seven. That's just my little oh, yeah. know, <laughs> numbers thing. But 
there were years Tennessee wasn't always a, a behemoth. It wasn't always '98 with Peyton Manning and T. Martin and contending for titles. I think '88 Tennessee started off 0 and six, and they won their last five, which included, of course, beating Kentucky. But you know they they come in five four and six, and that Kentucky team still couldn't beat Tennessee. There's been years that they've been down, but we've always found a way to be worse. So. <laughs> Yeah, you look at 2018. I mean, re- recently that was a five-one Tennessee team, and UK won ten games and and played horrible yeah. down there in Knoxville. Got beat pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And basketball, real quick, we got uh, blue-white game tomorrow. We had the announcement of Tubby Smith jersey uh, being retired New Year's Eve when High Point comes to town. So, um, what was your thoughts on the events kind of this week so far? Well, I mean, I, th- I think Tubby Smith, it's long overdue um, to be a head coach at Kentucky and win a national championship. I mean, he's – I know there was a certain uh, – I guess a certain amount of time had to pass by before they could do it, but I think that's been years ago. I mean, this was a long time coming. So, I'm happy that um, Tubby will be coming back. He was the head coach whenever I was – when I first started watching UK basketball, he was the one roaming the sidelines. I was born in 94, but I don't remember any of the Patino years. I don't remember the 98 year either. But uh, the first team I really remember was Cliff Hawkins, Gerald Fitch, uh, Marquise Estel, uh, Jules Kamara, all those guys that were on those teams. And, you know, Tubby was, was the head coach there. And then the best team I probably saw as a kid pre-Cal was, uh, you know, Rajon Rondo, Randolph Morris, Joe Crawford, and Chuck Hayes, and that 05 team that lost in the Elite Eight to uh, Michigan State. So really happy for Tubby. And, I mean, you, you think about it, too. You see some teams that um, – Tubby did not leave the program in, in, in shambles. He didn't leave it in a bad spot. They just got to where they weren't winning as many games as what they had gotten used to in the late 90s and then early in Tubby's tenure. You know, if, if they make a better hire there instead of Billy Gillespie, you know, maybe it never falls off as bad as it did uh, with him, so – I figured, you know, he'd be someone that as time went on, people would come to appreciate a lot more. And uh, I don't care what people say about winning with Patino's guys or whatever, <laughs> because college basketball, you've, UK fans more than anybody. I mean, honestly, under Cal should realize how hard it is to win a national title. You can have the best team, and even then you're not always going to win. A lot of times you don't win. I mean, the format makes it one of the most exciting postseason uh I mean, everybody loves March Madness. A lot of people from around the country maybe don't watch college basketball a year the way that they do in Kentucky, but once the tournament gets there, I mean, everybody is locked in. So as exciting as the NCAA tournament is, I think it's, you know, one of the worst ways to actually determine a champion. Um, but I wouldn't want it any other way, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, so to, to coach the way that he did with that roster and, you know, looking back, like I said, I wasn't watching in 98. I've, I've seen the tournament run before. I've seen that roster. It was a good roster, not what I think you would call an overwhelmingly great roster, though, right? I mean, you know, a lot of good players, guys who had been around on championship teams before, and they kind of had that pedigree already. But uh, Tubby did a great job there. Um, With the blue-white game, you know, I've been so locked in on football that I've not even really taken much time to, you know, since May or whatever when the roster got finalized. You know, I didn't really get to watch much of Pro Day. So I'll be curious to see kind of the rotations – 
And again, it's, it's an exhibition, you know, blue white game tomorrow. Won't have any huge takeaways, but yeah. one of the guys I'm really curious, and he was the first person that I wrote about yesterday, is, is Bryce Hopkins, just because he was that lowest ranked recruit, uh, class that only had three players. He, he was committed so long ago that, you know, it was before the season went bad, before the coaching changes, before all the guys transferred out and all the guys transferred in. It kind of feels like maybe he got lost a little bit in the shuffle. And it sounds like he's done a really good job this fall trying to force his way into the rotation. So I want to see him and see kind of how versatile he is and how he can kind of change this team. So and I don't think I can add anything that anyone else hasn't said about this team. You know, I think it's refreshing to, to see a more veteran group, even if some of those guys are from transfers from different schools. I think it'll be a new dynamic um, that we've not seen under Cal. And that, to me, is probably the most exciting thing to follow because, you know, they've probably legitimately got 10 guys who can help them. But if Cal doesn't want to play 10 guys, you know, how does he shake out their rotation? And um, because of that, I think this will be a, a pretty interesting year to follow and something different than what we've been used to. No, and the the shooting alone, which, you know, is, you know, in Chicago is windy. Everybody drives to the rim. Kentucky, we love shooting. You, you know, fill it up, shoot the rock. When you looked at Big Blue Madness the other day, just the pairings in the three-point contest, it was it was six deep of guys that can stroke it. So we all remember the prolonged scoring droughts from last season. In addition to everything else that went wrong, the, the six, eight minutes where you couldn't throw it in the ocean that happened every game, you'd be hard-pressed to to duplicate that this year. If, if somebody's cold, there's somebody else that can fill it up that you can, okay, you get in here and – Give us some scoring punch. Between Tata Washington, C.J. Frederick, uh, Dante Allen, Kellen Grady, and Davion Mintz, I mean, if this team does not shoot the ball well, then it's just not happening for UK under Cal. Uh, Z heard Cal, you know, all through the years say that, you know, this team, he thinks it's a good shooting team, and then they get out there, and it's, you know, not as good as what you would hope. But, you know, I'm sure you saw it. C.J. Frederick yesterday said he thought Ty Ty Washington would be between a 40 to 45% three-point shooter, yeah. which I'm not going to look that up. But I would – I mean, maybe Jamal Murray was around there as a freshman. But besides that, I cannot remember too many guys who the first year at UK shot the ball that – well, uh, Dron Lamb was, was, I guess, the one guy who uh, was great at shooting threes from the day he got on campus. So, between – you know, besides those guys, you've not seen too many guys come in and shoot it that way. And maybe even Brandon Knight too, off that 2011 team. That, that was a that was a good shooting backcourt between Knight and Lamb, um, yeah, and then Darius Miller as well on the wings it was a pretty solid three point shooter. So, you know, I mean, the way that this roster is constructed, you know, Sheboy is really the only true five on this team. So, Damon Collins can probably play down there. It sounds like Lance Ware, that'll be his role, maybe as a backup to Sheboy. So they're really not going to have a choice besides to play more spaced out have guys at the four, uh, whether it be Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, or Bryce Hopkins, perhaps, um, you'd like to see four guys on the floor at all times who can knock down the outside shot. So I definitely think they're – I mean, I think it's a pretty exciting time right now. It's this overlap, like we mentioned, it always – some years people are more ready for basketball, depending on how the football season's going. But here lately, I mean, Kentucky's been a steady bowl team now for six straight years. I think, I think people are always pretty excited for football and – this year, you, you've got a potential five and zero stretch right here coming up. If they if they play well, they could finish eleven and one, and you got basketball playing Duke here in a few weeks. So, I always think this is one of the most exciting times. On my end, it's very busy, but um, 
this kind of feels like a golden era in a lot of ways to me, at least anyone on the football side for sure. Yeah. So a lot to enjoy right now, I would say, if you, if you cheer for UK. For sure. Not was it Cal or the Kentucky basketball Twitter account that, that said Roy Williams that practiced yesterday because we're trying some things? So what, what do you think that might be? Oh, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> sure I need to look and see. I'm, I'm not down pull it up. Let's see. I thought it was maybe Cal or the Kentucky account one. Let me, I guess I'll type Kentucky Roy Williams maybe. But I thought I glanced at that and I knew I was going to ask you about it today. And I got Roy coming in here testing. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was in practice. That's what I, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, I know Roy was uh, brought up. Um, yeah, Cal says he invited Roy Williams to practice because there's some things we may try. <laughs> You know, you never know what uh what Cal's got up his sleeve, some of the things he might do. Um you know, it is like a changing of the of the garden a lot of ways. And he got asked yesterday. Uh he said it on phone bomb. Cal said it on phone okay. that he invited Roy Williams to practice. So yeah. Okay. So is Roy he 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 came to practice or he's planning to or did it did it say? If he hasn't, he's going to, it sounds like. Yeah, well, some- I mean Roy should have plenty of time, right? To uh <laughs> <laughs> to do whatever now that he's retired if he wants to come up here and, and watch some basketball that'd be great i mean i think it's you know a lot of those coaches i mean however kentucky fans feel about them you know roy williams hall of fame coach same way with coach k these are these are people who have been staples in the game for and and coach k's case what over 40 years at duke at the same school Roy williams obviously had a lot of success at kansas before he went to north carolina i mean these are people that kind of helped for probably for a younger not just younger generation i mean really for for a long time i mean they're people who help probably bring popularity their teams the way that they played you talk about not not roy williams per se but you know dean smith those teams in the 90s with in the 80s, obviously Michael Jordan, but in the 90s, Jerry Stackhouse and uh, uh, a lot of great players. Obviously, I'm blanking on uh, Rashid Wallace, some other guys, and then Duke, of course, early 90s with Leitner and really formed a great rivalry there with UK um, in that early part. And with Coach K, that's all I said on my podcast the other day, uh, <laughs> this might be the last shot to beat Coach K. You don't know if you're going to see him again in the tournament. Uh, you got to assume that you won't. Uh, so that's what's going to make that game on November 6th. I think it's November 6th. So intriguing um, up in, up at the Champions Classic. And I know how a lot of UK fans are. I mean, I know a lot of them hate Duke. And trust me, you know it as well as I do. There's, this whole year on ESPN is going to be devoted to Coach K. But when you've, when you've coached that long and you've had as much success as he has, five final or five national championships, I mean – I, I would probably I would still prefer it to have this kind of swan song year versus just retiring at the end of the season. You know, I think that uh, whether you love them or hate them, when you do that many great things in the sport, I think you're deserving of this kind of the kind of ovations that he's going to get. Um, but knowing that as well, I mean, this is your last chance to beat them, so teams are going to think of that too, and yeah. really should be interesting in that way. Absolutely. I tell you about our sponsor real quick. Uh, La Terrain Watch has been sponsoring the podcast for quite a while. They also have tagged, uh, teamed up with several former UK players, Tony Duck, Walter McCarty, guys like that, uh, some football players. Uh, 
former Houston Rocket, Vernon Maxwell, a lot of athletes they've teamed up with, but it's affordable, stylish watches for men and women, different bands, different accessories, whatever you like to have, they can do it. They're water resistant and made for everyday use. They're crafted with timeless details. LaTyrene.com is the site. And if you click the chat button, Dave, the actual owner himself, will get back to you. It's not some bot. It's not some automated deal. LaTerrain.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Believe in Kentucky podcast. Get yourself a nice watch. You don't always just have to go around and look at your phone when you want to see what time it is. LaTerrain has got you covered when it comes to fine quality time pieces. I'm going to flip it to, to baseball real quick for a couple of questions. Do you think uh, – Coach Minge, the momentum, we see it when a team wins a bowl game. Oh, they can carry this momentum right on into the spring. We've seen some, you know, wins in the fall and some scrimmages and things of that nature, but there's a lot of turnover. Are we carrying momentum into the spring from what's happening in the fall? What's, what kind of baseball team are we going to be looking at this spring? I was worried you were going to clown on me about the uh, Braves about to make the World Series. I was really, I, well, I was really worried. I, I, <laughs> I can, we were up 3-1 last year, so I'm not going to get yeah. too cocky. I do have a Reds question after, after okay. the baseball question. I'm not going I'm not going to mess with you too bad though. <laughs> I think uh I think with UK um I I have been I think I've been fair in criticisms over the years and I think uh I've when they've had things worth celebrating or whatever, I think I've highlighted those. This year, I mean, I'm very much wait and see because I do think that in terms of quality depth on the mound, it should be one of the best staffs they've had. But I would say that what's lacking compared to maybe Mingeon's first year, uh, I don't know if they have the high-end talent of the guys like Sean Jelly. Um, I mean, Zach Thompson was a midweek guy on that team, and by the time he left UK, he was a first-round pick. So I don't know if they have four starters that good, but I think across the board they have – more quality pitchers. So perhaps Cole Stupp, who, you know, Cole Stupp and Zach Lee, they both got a lot of good experience starting for the first time in the SEC last year. You would hope that they'll make another jump this year. Uh, one of the guys I was really curious to see uh, was Ryan Hagen out, who was a big recruit, you know, had had some issues last year with his lat. Um, I think those problems might still be ongoing, so I'm not sure if he's going to be ready for the season or not. Um but between the transfers, you know, a guy like Darren Williams from EKU, he was kind of – he's kind of a Swiss Army knife, I guess you could say. He's he started at times in his career. Last year he, he logged the most innings for a starter at EKU. But his his deal is the same as a lot of the guys, especially the ones that they recruited for the field. When you're coming from EKU, when you're coming from Hartford, Hawaii, um, some of these other schools that they've added guys from – that's a big jump in the SEC, and I think it's good that experience, but at the same time, I'm not going to assume right away that these guys are going to come in and be instant successes. I mean, you're talking about in positionally, Jake Plastiak could probably play first. He, he got some good uh, experience last year. Ruba Cobble behind the plate, you know, started the season before Colton Kessler went crazy at the plate and just hit the ball very well. He got some experience, and he comes from UC Santa Barbara. So, I mean, he's he's played Division One baseball for several years. Chase Eastep at third, uh, kind of a one-and-a-half-year starter because he was starting Corbin during kid. the pandemic year. Do what? Corbin Kidd. Corbin Kidd, yeah. Was a hell of a high school quarterback back yeah. in the day, too. Uh, 
so Chase has done well. And Ryan Ritter at shortstop has uh, had a good year starting last year. But besides that, you're going to be counting on new guys, whether it be Daniel Harris at second base or Emilian Petrie, who is from Canada, who I think has been a huge surprise with how good he's been. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised. And he's a true freshman. I think he might start at second base this year and then move over to shortstop as a sophomore. But you got a whole new outfield uh, with Hunter Jump from Arizona State. He's one guy that you could look at and say, well, he's faced Pac-12 pitching for the last few years. Like, that's at least going to be comparable to what he's going to see in the SEC compared to a guy like John Thrasher in center who was at Hartford. And, you know, he was a player of the year. I think it's a good get. He's got some speed. And then uh, Adam Fogel in right field from Hawaii. You know, these are guys who have been around a long time, and I think that experience is good. But is it going to be enough of a jump to get them into the tournament? That's what we'll have to see. I mean, I don't – this season, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out what to expect from them, and I think it's really hard to pinpoint that until we see how they adjust and things like that. But at the very least, I don't know what they finished, 12-18, and 18, I think, in the SEC last year, something like that. Started off good and then it just started off. Yeah. I mean, swept Auburn on the road. Like I think, I think they'll have a chance to get to the tournament, but this is not the kind of team I look at and, you know, say this, this team should win a regional things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the long-term outlook, I mean, it's hard to say until we kind of see how this year goes. I think they're recruiting a little bit better out of the high school ranks for the years to come, but a school like UK is probably gonna, they're probably going to lean on the portal a lot. I would guess in the years going forward. So mm-hmm. For Mengione, though, not making the tournament since his first year, it does feel very much like a, a year that, you know, they, they need to, they need to be pretty competitive, I would say, this season. And I, I think they should be, with just looking at the roster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now for the for the Reds, like I'm not going to mess with you too bad. Uh, I, we'll flashback to 2011. You'll see where I'm going. Kentucky beats Tennessee and ends the streak. We stormed the field. My dad and my sister and I went. We we went to every Kentucky Tennessee game in Lexington and Knoxville because we said we're gonna be there when Kentucky <laughs> finally ends this thing. So everybody stormed the field, and on the way down, I forget who says it. There maybe some people there with us, but we were at, we were like, well, you know, this this means another year, Joker Phillips. Well, yeah, but let's go storm the field anyway. So I mean, <laughs> so so when I flip it to your Reds. And I tweeted this after the playoff series with the Braves last year. And I, I tagged the Reds fans, friends I knew. I said, you know, you just made the playoffs. Are you going to be excited about this meaning a possible extension for David Bell? Or what? where are we at, Reds fans? And a year later, he gets that extension. So at the moment last year, how would you have felt about him getting extended? And how do you actually feel about him getting extended this year? I just would have liked to have seen him score a run last year in that playoff series. <laughs> Two of the most agonizing games I think I've seen. So I, I placed a lot of the uh, – David Bell is not a perfect manager by any means. No no manager is. He, he does things that I don't like. But I, I didn't think he had as bad of a year as some other Reds fans. I mean, there are some Reds fans really hard on David Bell. I thought that, you know, this year's team, he did a good job working with what he had. I was mostly disappointed in the front office. And, you know, I'm not going to minimize that that the pandemic didn't hurt them. I'm not saying that, you know, they had just tons of money to throw around. But, you know, it is still an organization valued at over a billion dollars. 
And I just don't like it whenever teams like that kind of cry poor because obviously they're not. Um, mm-hmm. So I was disappointed with the overall front office because it felt like a roster to me that, uh, you know, really, if you just want to use hindsight, well, I'm not a Braves fan by any means. I know a lot of Braves fans. They tried at the trade deadline. They lost Ronald Acuna for the year. They could have just said, you know what, this is not our year. we got a losing record. I think they were, what, like 52 and 55 at one point. Yeah, Go care. to the trade deadline. Yeah, took August and they cracked 500. Yeah, so went out and got Eddie Rosario, got Adam Duvall, Louisville boy, former Red. Uh, Some other – Jock Peterson obviously having a great series. I mean, they tried, and I can at least respect that because the Reds didn't really try, and that that aggravates me about more than anything because if you're not going to try to win, then why should anybody care? Why should the fans care? And, uh, you know, you said you were born, what, 1977? So you at least have seen Red success in the 1990 when they won the World Series. Although you're not a fan, you've at least known that, uh, you know, they've they've not won a playoff series my whole lifetime. So – I'm still a fan. I'll still watch every game uh, for the most part until they make me mad <laughs> and they start losing over the course of the year. But uh, I, I would say right now, to answer your question, I think there are bigger problems in the organization than, than David Bell. So I think, you know, you can only do so much as a manager. And he's not going to be perfect, but if they fired him and hired someone else, I mean, it wouldn't take long for me to get mad at that guy either. So it's just how it is. Uh you always remember the moves that the manager makes that don't work out, and maybe sometimes we gloss over the ones, the, the good decisions that they make. Right, right. Um, my dad and I did go to Riverfront in 1990, the year they, they won it, just, just because, really, because I was already a Braves fan since I was like seven or eight. My dad was a Mets fan, but we just up and drove to Cincinnati. They were playing the Pirates, and it was Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla, Jose Rio, Eric Davis, and all those guys, and and Skinny Barry Bonds hit a home run that day, and uh, Skinny Barry Bonds, <laughs> as opposed to uh, later career Barry exactly. Bonds. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> still skinny, base still in Barry. Yeah. Uh, but Cincinnati beat them, but it was it was a fun trip. And even though I didn't have a dog in the fight, it was cool to say, I, well, that team won the World Series. We just went and saw them in August. Yeah. That was cool. But um, normally focus on Kentucky on this podcast, but the Reds are the favorite team of most Kentuckians. There's yeah. some Cardinals and Braves fans in there, but haven't had to get you on here and ask about the Braves, the about your Reds. But yeah. I appreciate you hopping on and, and dropping knowledge. Um, I always enjoy listening to you and Sean on Kentucky Daily. The mailbag is the Matt bag here lately because he's the one sending y'all so many questions. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had a few yesterday, but. We appreciate it, though, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. I had a great time talking with you and uh, talking a little bit of everything there. But uh, like I said, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. And look, enjoy the weekend with the wife. Enjoy the bye week. Enjoy that time and because, you know, the, the second half of the season's coming and the overlap and all that, and you'll be, you'll be grinding. But we appreciate everything you put out, and I always enjoy reading and everything. But you guys check this episode out with, with Derek Terry, Kentucky Daily, Cats Paws. Um, go to uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Go straight to Believe.com. And the guys at A Sea of Blue will post this episode on their website as well. I always appreciate Jason Markham and the fellas putting it up on their site. For my man, Derek Terry, this has been another episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. Everybody stay safe. This episode is presented by Bet Online, And we'll see everybody on the next episode.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.